Good morning. Today is Monday, October 25th, 2021. Our parsha begins, Chayasara, with the death of Sarah. And the Torah tells us, Vayavo Avraham lispod lisarah v'liv kosa. Avraham came to eulogize Sarah and to cry over her. Rabbi Tzvi Hirsch Weinreb points out that, first of all, this is the first time in the Torah where we have the reaction of a surviving relative to the death of a loved one. So this sets the pattern of how a surviving member of a family will respond when, God forbid, a loved one passes away. And as part of that, we notice in Avraham's response, two elements. Lisbod lisara v'livkosa. Livkosa, to cry over her, is an expression of emotion, of feelings of loss through sobs, through crying. It's an emotional response, which is absolutely necessary. And at the same time, there is a second element, lispode, to eulogize, which is much more cerebral. To eulogize requires something that is well thought out, something that is carefully composed, that can be presented to others in the form of a eulogy. So we have, on the one hand, this emotional response, and on the other hand, this cerebral response. There was an amazing eulogy that we have from the 1700s, written by Rabbi Yechezka Landau, one of the greatest halachic authorities, one of the greatest rabbinic leaders of his time. It's included in his work, Noda Beyehuda, one of the great halachic works of the modern period. And the eulogy is for his wife, Liba. And when she passed away, he eulogized her. It's a very beautiful eulogy. But within the context of that eulogy, he makes the following point. He talks about Sarah and Avraham's eulogizing Sarah. And he says that Avraham sets the example for all eulogies to follow. In that, Notice the uh, curious feature of the words. Avraham lispod to eulogize Sarah, the and to cry for her. Notice that Sarah's name is mentioned in connection with the eulogy, but only her pronoun is mentioned in connection with the crying. And from that curious feature of the syntax, Rav Landau understands that, of course, the emotional response, the sobbing, the crying is for her, for the one who is bereaved, for Avraham in this case. But the hespid can't just be for her. In other words, for the personal relationship that the loved one had with the one who has passed away, it's got to be 
a eulogy about Sarah. It has to allow everyone who comes away from that with a better understanding of Sarah's life, with a better understanding of the significance of her life. And of course, the significance of her loss, but also the significance of the blessing of having had her in our lives so that there is a goal for a eulogy and it's to be able to have an impression of the biographical details, but much more importantly about the significance of the person that we have lost. There are at least three common shortcomings in eulogies today. First of all, very often today, eulogies that are delivered are trite. They're often about food. She made the best chicken soup. She made the best brisket. I remember her cookies. And while those create a connection between a person, in this case, a woman, and let's say, for example, her grandchildren. But if that's the extent of the connection, then we're talking about something that is very trite, very superficial. And that's a common problem. The second common problem is that sometimes eulogies are very generic and filled with platitudes and don't relate to the essence of the individual, qua individual. Sometimes this is a problem when the person who is eulogizing did not know the person who passed away. And they kind of fall back on the normal um, phrases and cliches that they're used to using that may not be particularly apt or applicable in this situation. And then the other problem, the other shortcoming with many eulogies today is that they contain falsehoods. They simply say things that are not true. Now, Jewish law does explain that it is permitted to amplify what a person did in their lifetime. If a person uh, gave tzedakah, we're allowed to say they gave a lot of tzedakah. If a person uh, helped a person, we're allowed to say they helped a person a lot. But we're not allowed to say that a person was kind when he or she was unkind. We're not allowed to say that uh, a person was um, uh, caring about their family when they were not caring about their family. The eulogy has to be based on truth, but not the full truth, because we are also under no obligation to say everything that is true. Rav Shamshul Ful Hirsch points out, if you look in a Torah scroll at the verse that we quoted, lispod, the word to eulogize, the letter pay is a smaller than usual letter. 
And so this occurs throughout the Torah where some letters are smaller, some letters are larger, and that usually means to indicate some complicated meaning, some um, uh, double entendre of the meaning of the word. And in this case, Hirsch points out that anyone who mourns, there are parts of the mourning that are public, that are known, and then there are parts that are private. There are parts of everyone, every person that are public, and there are parts that are private and should remain private. One of the people in the last generation who was famous for the insightful eulogies he would deliver was the Rav, Rav Yosef Salavechik of Blessed Memory. His eulogies were masterpieces of examining a person's life, uncovering the lessons of their life, the beauty of their life that often was not so obvious. And his eulogies are among the most important of all of his teachings. And one of the things he used to say is that it is crucial that a eulogy is done carefully, well thought out. It cannot be off the cuff. Listen to this medrash that he would quote. The rabbis of the medrash say as follows. A person passes away. Our understanding is their soul comes before God, before the heavenly court to be judged. At the moment that a person's soul comes before the heavenly court to be judged, the court requires witnesses to testify about this person's actions during their lifetime. The words of the eulogy are part of the testimony used by the heavenly court in their adjudication of the soul of this person. One who testifies falsely clearly has done a terrible sin. A person has to recognize that when they are speaking about someone who's passed away, there is a heavy responsibility to say what is correct, to say what is inspiring about this person, to give the best features of this person, but also not to lie because there is a heavenly court, as ironic as that sounds, that is relying on the testimony of these human eulogizers. And the Rav went on to teach, that sometimes a eulogy needs to explain, expound on an apparent contradiction within a person's life. Very often there are people that have what the Rav refers to as creek sieve, which means some, a word is written one way, but pronounced another way. And in the life of a person, a person might live one way. Most, many people may look at this person a certain way, but in fact, there are characters characteristics about this person that many people did not know about. 
and many areas of greatness. And many people did not know about it. And a eulogy is the opportunity to be able to draw out that aspects of a person's character that is not well known in order to be able to share with those to create that legacy. The most important element of a eulogy is that it must be authentic. It must be genuine. Anyone can tell a false note. So this is a story I heard from Rabbi Pesach Kron. It's an incredible story. I've shared it with some of you before. It involves Rabbi Yechezkel Levenstein, who was the mashkiach, one of the teachers of the Panovich Yeshiva in Bnei Brak near Tel Aviv in Israel in the early 1950s. He was a great scholar and teacher in Bnei Brak in the early 1950s. And at that time, he had a grandson who lived in the United States. The boy was nine years old, and this boy was the love of his grandfather's life. And the boy became sick. Now, in Bnei Brak, in the early 1950s, there were no telephones in homes. It was very hard to communicate. And the family didn't want to try to give any news over the phone because it just, it, it, it wouldn't match the emotion of the moment. So it happened, Nebuch, that the boy died. And the family decided, rather than try to make a phone call to a store and call him to a store to hear the noise, the, the news in a very noisy manner, the family decided to contact a rabbi in Yerushalayim, Rav Nachum Parchovich, another great scholar. And they contacted him in Yerushalayim. They told him what happened. And they said to him, please travel to Bnei Brak to tell Rabbi Yechezkel this terrible news so that he would hear the news in person from someone he knew and respected, which is a very sensitive thing. Rabbi Nachum traveled to Bnei Brak. He came into the home of Rabbi Yechezkel and he said, I have news from America. And Rabbi Yechezkel understood with those words that his grandson had passed away. And the two of them, Rabbi Yechezkel and Rabbi Nochem, sat down together and they cried. A little while later, Rabbi Yechezkel's assistant came in to remind Rabbi Yechezkel, you have to get ready to leave you are scheduled to deliver a hespid, a eulogy for Rabbi Yitzchak Sher, who was one of the great rabbis in Bnei Brak at that time. And he had passed away and the funeral had been scheduled and it had been publicized that Rabbi Chesko Levenstein was going to deliver the eulogy. Everyone is expecting you. You're scheduled to speak. We have to leave right now. And Rabbi Cheskel said, no, I'm canceling. I'm not going. 
Because if I go and I eulogize this great sage in B'nai Brak, and I cry, people will think that I'm crying for this great rabbi in B'nai Brak who passed away. But in reality, I will be crying for my grandson. And I won't shed false tears. I can't deliver that eulogy. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be genuine. A hespid, a eulogy, is a very specific kind of speech. It's different than a tribute or a biography. A hespid is a speech that is intended to bring listeners to tears. Tears at the sadness of losing the physical presence of someone in our lives. But a hespid should also inform us of the strengths that a person had that we did not know or we did not fully appreciate. In its true form, the tears elicited by a hespid should be not only tears of loss and sorrow, but also tears of inspiration and insight that make our life fuller and richer having had this person in our lives or at the very least having this person as a role model going forward. A hespid is sad, but a hespid is also about life. And if it's done properly, it should be teaching us lessons about life, teaching us about the meaning of life so that our lives have more significance and more joy in them because of the person who passed away. And that's the reason that our Parsha this week, which is after all about the death of Sarah, is known to us by the name Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah. Yes, Sarah dies. And yes, it is very sad. But what we receive from this Parsha is what made her life special what made her life blessed, what we can emulate. And we see here we are all these years later and Sarah remains our matriarch. She remains the woman who influences all of us. The Hespid for Sarah is the expression of her life. My friends, I wanna wish you a great day. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.